here. Um, it's a little weird because I've got my pastor right here sitting on the front row. I feel like it's a second interview. So I hope I can do this well and do this justice. Um, so on that, uh, today I want to talk to you about lowering your expectations. Maybe lowering your expectations in your job because uh, maybe that promotion's just not for you. Uh, maybe it's just not, uh, may maybe that bonus is not for you. Or maybe lowering your expectations uh, with your kids. They may not be the athlete that you think that they are. So college may not be for them, but maybe high school might be pretty good. Or how about if you're a young adult, uh, lowering your expectations uh, because the girl that you want to date or that you want to get to know, she's probably out of your league, so maybe you should get somebody a little bit more realistic. Uh, how about lowering your expectations with your mother-in-law because she's probably not ever going to like you. Uh, yeah, it's just the truth. Uh, how about lowering your expectations for this message considering the way that it's starting? The thing about expectations are uh, that sometimes we have high expectations, sometimes we have low expectations, um, and every day we expect something. Uh, the problem with expectations is the simple fact that they're our expectations. It's okay to have high expectations. It's okay to think positively, and it's actually good for us to think positive, but sometimes just because we're trying to be positive doesn't mean that it's going to be easy and that it's going to be right. Again, it's not the fact that there's expectations, it's that they're our expectations. See, whenever I was uh, about two years ago, uh, my wife and I kind of got a wild hair and we were like, hey, I think we want to, we've been watching some HDTV, HGTV, and so we want to buy a house and we want to renovate it. So we bought a 1954 home and we completely gutted it from the inside, like down to the studs. Um, there was, we changed the electrical, we changed the plumbing. There's a, here's a picture of kind of what it was like once we uh, started getting into the mess of all of it. And, uh, and it sounded like a great idea, right? Because you watch Chip and JoJo. And you just think like, hey, one week they finished a house. Why can't we do that? So let's just tear everything up. So you start tearing things up and the uh, fire truck shows up because you have a gas leak because you pulled something out and you didn't turn the gas off. And you happen maybe say to your family, get out, it's going to blow. Everybody out. <laughs> Find yourself on the curb. Uh, or uh, you're sitting there one day demoing with a friend and all of a sudden you see your wife run outside and it looks like she's praising Jesus, but really a hammer uh, fell on her head from the top of a ladder. And as she was coming down, uh, she hit the ladder and it hit her on the head and she scraped her, uh, her arm uh, with a nail that was sticking out and she was bleeding. She has a scar to this day to show you. Uh, and I thought she was out there praising Jesus, but she was really just calling upon the name of the Lord uh, for help at that point. Um, and so there was many nights whenever I was uh, at home uh, in bed thinking about what I was going to do next and how I was going to do it. Here's another picture of kind of uh, me. I decided to tackle the whole kitchen. And so uh, I ordered the whole kitchen from Ikea and uh, it came in 198 boxes. <laughs> and uh, there were many nights of me trying to figure out 
how to do something uh, that I've never done before, right? Because I, uh, especially whenever you try something new or you step out in faith on something and you just think, man, this should be good. You have all these expectations. But when it came down to it, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. As much as I could try to figure, as much as YouTube, the as amount of YouTube that I watched or the friends that I asked, ultimately the expectation that I had uh, never really uh, came, it never happened like I wanted it to happen. So I will say eventually uh, I did finish the, ki- uh, the kitchen and we finished the renovation. We did two bathrooms. Uh, there was actually a vinyl hood that was added onto that too as well. Uh, but it actually came together and we made a profit at some point. Now here's the deal. I should have disclosed and I did disclose that I put that all together, but I don't know if they really knew uh, what all went into that. I hope that it's still working today. But we did get a profit out of that at the end of the day, but it was still pretty hard. And as I think about this parable today, and I look at what Jesus was doing whenever he was talking to his disciples in Matthew 25, he was, as a master, he was telling them what he expected. So God has an expectation for your life. And a lot of times we think of the expectations from our point of view, and Jesus is talking to them today and he's saying, here are the expectations that I have for you. This is the expectations that that a master has for his servants. So to give you a little bit of context of where we are in Matthew chapter 25 and when he's about to bring this parable to his disciples. So at the beginning of Matthew, Jesus was born and he had all the, uh, the credentials of the Messiah. He was born in Bethlehem. He was from Nazareth. Um, He started his ministry in Galilee. All of those were prophecies that were fulfilled. Um, John the Baptist was there preparing the way for him. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus came on the scene and he started to teach and he started to talk about two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven and how they're going to collide. And he had this teaching that was the truth, and so many people were enthralled with it. Many people uh, came to him and wanted to hear his teachings. And so as they were coming, there was, it, there was, they were coming in by the groves, by the droves. And so he was, uh, he was teaching on the mountainside. He would teach in a boat. He would teach all different places and people in houses, and people would just come and they'd flock to him. But there was persecutions that happened too. So in Matthew uh, chapter 14, John the Baptist uh, was beheaded. And so his teachings uh, were very popular, but they weren't always, people didn't always like Jesus. Some people liked Jesus, some people were confused by Jesus, and some people despised him. But Jesus talked to that, and he talked about, to the disciples, he started to tell them about the persecution that was to come. And the message moved on. You get closer into uh, to, to Matthew 25 and you see that Jesus was talking to the religious leaders. And he was talking to the people about religious leaders. And he was saying, hey, listen, be careful of the people who are in it for their own self and power. Be careful of the people who are false teachers. And he started to talk to them and to say, hey, listen, You think that it's supposed to be one way, but make sure and know that it's supposed to be this way. Even his disciples sometimes thought that Jesus 
was supposed to be somebody different than who, who he was. They wanted him to be a powerful, strong warrior leader. And Jesus was constantly a humble servant to them. So in this parable in Matthew 25, we are two days away from Jesus being taken and being arrested to be crucified. So this is all leading up to this moment for the disciples. He is no longer with the big groups of people. He's on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was just outside the city and it was overlooking the temple and the city and it was a beautiful view and that's where he was, the, the olive trees. That's why they call it the Mount of Olives because there was, uh, uh, the olive trees were in that region and, and that was the same place that Jesus one day was prophesied to come back, right on that place of the Mount of Olives, and, and he's sitting there and he's just talking to his disciples at this point. So when we're reading these parables, Jesus, we're reading this parable, Jesus is talking to the disciples about the last days and the last judgment. So as we're looking at this, I want us to look at this through the eyes of who he is talking to and what he's talking about. So let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And then he went away. So we see here, Jesus has already predicted his death twice. He's already talked about how he's going to be going away. So when he's talking about this master and he says he's going on this long journey and the relationship that he's had with his disciples, they, they're, they're kind of getting it, right? Because he's talking in parables. He's using, like Craig says, earthly stories to talk about heavenly principles or heavenly meanings. So he, they, they know that there's something more to this. And so they're leaning in because he also says that he gave he, to his servants that he entrusted five talents, two talents, and one talent. Now, a talent was a measurement. It was a monetary measurement, all right? But it, it represented more than just, uh, uh, just like one dollar. It was, there was, uh, the theologians will, will say that it's, Probably uh, one talent represents about 6,000 denarii, uh, which, which 6,000 denarii is about 20 years wages. So for our day and age, it's anywhere from like 500,000 to a million dollars is one talent. 500,000 to a million dollars is one talent. So, so somebody got a million, somebody got two, somebody got five talents. The servants were entrusted with that. I love how Jesus uses these exaggerative terms or these very uh, big terms to help them understand. These, this is not a real story, but it's helping them understand this principle of what's been entrusted to them. So two come back and they've doubled their talent. And one has come back and he just hit it and he brought back what was his. What was, what was the master's? That was it. Let's look at verse 23. Skip down. His master said to him, this is to the second servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So what we see here 
is these, this master has given them these talents, but he has not given them any instruction at all. Zero instruction. We don't know what the instruction is. That's the crazy thing about these parables. They're kind of like a mystery. There's a, a, you, you really, you want more of it. You, it's kind of hard to like, to see what, what he means, but we know that they've given the talent according to the ability. So there's three things that I want us to kind of extract from this today, uh, this passage about the expectation that God has for us, okay? Number one is this, we have the ability to imitate our master. If I'm looking at what the faithful servant did, is he took the talent that God had, the master had given him, and he didn't just add to it, but he multiplied it. That was the expectation for that servant because he entered into the joy of the master because of what he did with that talent. Let's skip down to verse 24 and see what happened to the one. So the one, he also had received one talent and came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master, his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where, where I have scattered no seed. So this one, the third one comes back. And honestly, this doesn't seem that bad to me. I, I wish that it seemed worse to me, but I'm like sitting there going like, man, I've got a neighbor who borrows something, a ladder, and I'm just happy if it gets it back, right? I mean, you know those people that you try to borrow stuff from and then they're like, you're not sure if you're ever gonna get it back. It's like, so whenever I'm sitting here thinking of this, uh, originally I'm like, man, he, he gave back what was his. So why, why is that a bad thing? Why, why is that not right? Why did he call him a wicked and slothful servant? Ultimately, because that's the expectation of the master. Again, not our expectation, but God's expectation. So the question is, do you know the expectation of your master? Or do you imitate your master? What are you being mastered by? Who are you imitating? What are you imitating? Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 1 John 2, 6 says, If we say that we abide in him, in Christ, then we walk as he walked. Ultimately, Jesus is talking to his disciples here and he's saying, what you have learned, what you have seen, imitate that. And you have to remember these disciples were a ragtag group. They were all different types of people, all different uh, hobbies, all different uh, occupations that they, were, uh, that, they, that they loved to do and that they came from. But there was an expectation that was there that was to imitate the master. So we have the ability to imitate the master, number one. Number two is this, we are expected to multiply. 
we're expected to multiply. Now, what I mean by that is this. If we, in order to glorify God, we invest what we have for the good of the world defined by God. We invest what we have for the good of the world as defined by God. God so loved the world. One day when we get done with all of this, it's not going to be just something completely different that was just, oh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. No, when we are done with this, God is making things right in this world. His two kingdoms that are colliding. God wants to restore us. He wants to restore the world to its original intent. And he wants us to be a part of that. And he has given us the abilities and the talents to, to, to give back, right? Because here's the deal about gifts and talents. Gifts are meant to be given. And you are gifted. God has given you a, a gift and a talent that's according to the measure of who you are. And so you have a gift. I need your gift. We need your gift. We need every part of your gift. You're created and designed with a huge capacity. I love what Dorothy Sayers, um, an English poet writer, uh, she wrote this, the church's approach to a carpenter is confined to exhorting him to not be drunk and disorderly and to come to church on Sundays. But the church should be telling him this, the very first demand that a religion makes upon him is to make good tables. The way in which he goes about his work is making the world a better place. As believers, as people who have been given much, we should make good tables. We should make good products. We should have good services. We should have good relationships. That is what God demands of us, is he wants us to, to, to do our work as unto the Lord. And, and we have that ability. We have that, we are designed in that way. I love how Tim Keller said it this way. The idea of work is bringing order out of chaos. The idea of work is bringing order out of chaos. For example, a musician, they'll take sound and they'll make it into music. A gardener will take the chaos of, of ground and soil and seed and, and water and, and sunlight and bring it into order and, and produce plants and flowers and, and produce and fruit. The, uh, the, a hairdresser, a hairdresser will take uh, a nappy head of hair, a, a, a messed up dew with slightly different colors and make it pretty and smell good and colorful and curly locks. I don't know, I'm just trying to relate to women. But something of that nature, right? Like he, he takes the order, it, work is taking order, uh, chaos and bring it into order. That's what we get to do every day. That's what we're designed with. That's what we, we're, we're, we're given by God. And, and, and yes, it's not just uh, the physical things, it, it's the spiritual things as well. It's that we're, we're, we are to produce fruits of the spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control, all the things that, that God has given us the ability to do and to have and possess. But it's so easy to get caught up like the third servant. 
and to say, well, you, you are a hard master. Like, you, you, I don't know if I could have done that. It's not an excuse. Or we can point fingers and say, well, I don't have what they have. I haven't been given what they've been given. Well, they've had it easier than I've had it. I wish there was a different answer for you. But there's not. If our purpose for our job is to serve the community and to love our neighbor, then we do the very best job that we can do. Number three is this. So after one, God's expectation is we have the ability to imitate our master. Number two is we are expected to multiply. And number three is somebody get a shovel. Somebody get the shovel. All right. So as I read this, I got to the end of it, and honestly, the first thing I thought was, no one deserves to go to the outer darkness and to be cast in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. No one. Zero. That's not happening. Why would we want that on anyone? You shouldn't, that shouldn't have to happen. Like, we need to do something about this. Like, let's take the, the second one, need to help the third one, right? I mean, ultimately, I wish that I said, well, yes, yeah, some people probably do deserve that. They don't. If anybody deserves it, I deserve it. I mean, we, we know that, that we, we have fallen and we've missed the mark. We know that we all have sinned. We know that God's grace is abundant in our life through Jesus. And that is what Jesus is telling the disciples at this point too. He's saying, listen, I'm going away because I'm actually gonna conquer death and I'm gonna come back and we're gonna make all things right. But I need you to take care what I've given you when I'm gone. And I don't want you to dig a hole and put it in a hole in the ground. I want you to multiply it. This is my expectation for you. So when we get a shovel, it's not for us to dig something and put our talent in. It's no, we're getting a shovel so that we can help people take that talent outside uh, of the ground and use it. If you are today riddled with fear, if you think that you're too weak and that you're, you're too frail and that you've done too many bad things and that you're not worth it and you don't really have any purpose in your life, God, through Jesus, the hope of the world, says today you can overcome by the, word of the, lamb, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. It's not about how great you are. It's about how great that God is in through Jesus and in your weaknesses, God is... Uh, is made strong. You are made strong through God. You, are, you have the ability to multiply. You have the ability to make good tables. You have the ability to, to have good relationships. You have the ability to be profitable. It may take, it seem like in going backwards, Getting out of debt is hard. And it may seem like that you're going backwards. But Jesus, if anyone knows, he knows. Why? Because he stooped down. He stooped down. He, he came and he became a man. And he was born in a manger. And he, he went through suffering unto death. 
He knows where you're at. And all the excuses in the world that you can make up can't compare to what God can do through you when you trust the master. We got to grab a shovel. We got to start helping people use their talents. I mean, the amount of grace that I've been given. If God can use me, you ask anyone who God has changed their life, and you can say, and they'll tell you, I, it wasn't me. It's God's love for me. It's God's love for this world. He has that same hope. He has that same offering to you today. I put friends don't let friends do idiotic things alone. We all are not necessarily smart with our actions and with our lives. But I'll tell you right now, when we work together towards advancing the kingdom that Jesus has brought to earth of love and peace, we're going to make a difference. We're going to multiply, not because of what we've done, but because of what God is orchestrating. That's it. That's where it's at. I'll close with this. So whenever, uh, so I've played college basketball, college football, all conference, quarterback, receiver, um, and those were awesome. And like, those were great achievements. But there's nothing that compares to my athletic career in football and basketball compared to the most important athletic moment of my life is when I coached my son in his fourth grade peewee flag football league. It was the final game of the season. It was the Super Bowl. We were down by three points and there was less than a minute left and we had to go the length of the field was about 45 yards. Somehow we get down to about the 18 yard line and the clock is tip ticking. We have no timeouts. There's 18 seconds left on the clock. And I am, this is why it's so awesome, is because number one, I got to be on the field. That was the age where I got to actually be in the huddle. And I got to be the dad that was not on the sidelines telling people what to do. I got to orchestrate. And I got to make sure that I was doing what, what should have been done by every coach that's ever been coaching my son. And that's win the game, right? Because I know how to do that because I'm the dad. So I'm in the huddle and I am telling everybody, come on, because I'm running down faster than everybody else because their, their legs have to do like 80 little steps compared to my two, two steps. So we get into the huddle finally. Everybody's getting in the huddle. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, guys, come here. Come here. All right, come on. We got to go. We got to go. And, and this one kid's like, hey, Jimmy's over there talking to his dad. I'm like, get Jimmy back over into the huddle. I'm like, Jimmy, get over here. And they're like, uh, hey, Heath, Heath, uh, Heath is about to pass out. He's like, he's hyperventilating. He needs his inhaler. I'm like, Heath, you can wait 15 seconds. And I'm like, and they're like, uh, th then Brandon's like, uh, I think I'm going to throw up. I really think I'm going to throw up. I don't feel it. I'm like, listen, we got to pull this together. Listen, we can do this. And my, and Cooper, my son, he's the quarterback. And he's like, dad, just call the play. Just call the play. And I'm like, all right, guys, listen, tricky, Ricky, tricky, Ricky, go line up, go. They knew what Tricky Ricky was, I think. I was hoping, right? So they all lined up. It was the trick play that we had practiced. 
We all line up. Actually, we were not lined up, okay? We just, I just said, hike the ball, hike the ball, because it was just, we were not going to score. We were not going to win. And so I'm like, hike it. And, and so we hike it. They don't throw a flag. I don't know why. I don't know how. God's provision. And so they hike the ball. But what happens is the center hikes it to the running back. And my son's the quarterback. And Caden gets it. And he runs that direction. And Cooper runs around the backside over here. It's a beautiful play. And they run all play side. Everybody runs play side except for the quarterback. And he's supposed to throw the ball back over to the other side. So Caden goes... It's like three seconds on the clock. He throws it. The ball's in the air. The horn goes off. And my son Cooper is back there. But the problem was Brandon, who was supposed to be the receiver on that side, didn't line up because he was still picking his boogers in the back. <laughs> and so the corner didn't go with him like he was going to do. So the corner is there alone with Cooper. And I'm like, throw it throws the balls in the air. It's in the end zone. He goes up, he grabs the ball over the top of Mac and he comes down with it and he catches the ball. I've never jumped so high in all of my life. It was unbelievable. It's the first time I've gotten a clap in a sermon since I've been here. So, so it was I mean, it was one of those moments I jumped so high. I see my son running with the ball in his hand around the outside. He's doing the jet carry. He's like this. He runs and jumps into my arms. Blaze is crying on the other sideline because he's the coach. So if you need to console him after this, he hates when I tell this story. And he is, I mean, I, and we are just like elated. I mean, we are, we are, I, I've never, uh, I, to this day, it just makes me smile. And you know, dads, we live vicariously through our kids and it's a terrible situation with kids sports these days and dads, but man, it sure is fun whenever you win. Uh, <laughs> but as I think about, and as, as I close today, as I think about the, uh, as I think about that huddle and I just think about all the kids that are there and the pressure that was on them and, and I think about the ones that were paying attention and the ones that weren't, um, I do know that what happened was uh, at the end of the day, they heard Tricky Ricky and they knew the expectation and they went and did it. And maybe you're the one picking your boogers or maybe you're the one that was... Uh, hyperventilating, going, I, don't, I can't do something new. I, I can't step out on faith. I, I can't control this. That's okay. Because God is our hope in Jesus. And if you hear anything today, breathe in his word. Breathe in the things of God and serve people and love people. And breathe out by doing ministry and by caring for people. And if you're not doing either one of those things, then it's gonna be hard for you to meet the expectation of the master. Because every day you're just depending on yourself. And God's expectation for your life is that you trust him and that you breathe him in and that you breathe him out. And God takes care of the rest. 